Hello and welcome to the CFA Society Finland's webinar Macro Markets 2021. My name is Harri Koinen and I'm a member of the board of CFA Society Finland and I'm really glad to have here three guests. Lippo, Heidi, Valtteri, uh, which uh, are often seen on, on Finnish media uh, talking of, of lots of different 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 things. I'm going to do a quick introduction here. Uh, Lippo Suominen next to me, uh, chief investment strategist at S-Bank and FIM Asset Management here in Helsinki. Then we have uh, Heidi Shoman over there, chief economist at Swedbank uh, Finland. And, and then Valtteri Ahti here, uh, who heads macro fixed income and uh, currencies research at Danske Bank in Finland. And uh, just a note to the viewers, uh, this event will be recorded, so there will be a chance to watch it afterwards and, and hopefully also listen it at, uh, as podcast. Uh, later. Uh, viewers will also have a chance to post questions. I will be seeing them on, on this iPad here uh, and I will be asking the, the guests uh, questions if uh, and when they suit the flow of discussion. But feel free, don't be shy. Your name won't be seen on, on screen anyway. Uh, I was thinking of uh, uh, talking of uh, first of macro and markets uh, specific things, uh, and then later in the webinar to move on to the to the more sort of a soft topics. Uh, CFA Society Finland promotes uh, professional development, for example, among other things, and, and that's something that I, I would like to discuss with you. How how do you sort of uh, keep your your development, your professional level at at, at uh, in uh, with high high standards? But let's start with uh, with uh, with uh, macro topics. And uh, I was first thinking of asking you, and let's start with Heidi. That that if you want to ask first, that how optimistic or pessimistic you are, what comes to the global economy this year, 2021. There's been a huge uh, pandemic last year, which is still continuing. But how optimistic are you? Are we going to get through? And if we are, how soon? How forcefully? I believe we're going to get through. We always get through in one way or the other. But um, I would say baseline, quite optimistic. And, and I think that's quite common right now. We have gotten some of the big question marks put behind us. Brexit, the American presidential election, even though we see uncertainty there. And then we have the vaccine that is now rolled out. So uh, quite high probability that we'll actually going to see quite a strong recovery in 2021. But at the same time, uh, we have the same risks as we had before the pandemic, but they have just become bigger. And then I'm talking about the risk of, of, of uh, bankruptcies and non-performing loans uh, for banks in continental Europe, especially uh, if we look at debt. Uh, we were worried about global debt levels before the pandemic. Well, now we're taking a giant jump uh, upwards. Then we have political uncertainty. We have Angela Merkel leaving. What will that mean for Europe? That's not clear. And uh, then all the pro problems related to low productivity growth, uh, inflation. There's such a bunch of questions. <laughs> that doesn't sound very optimistic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but they are the risks that we have learned to live with. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, I thought that... we. 
is it possible for us to always have like exceptional times? I think we're going to go back to that. It's not going to be the normal we had before the financial crisis, but we're still going to have high risk all the time, even though mm. we don't have a pandemic in the way that we have right now. Mm. What do you think of, of geographical differences that, that the pandemia is still ongoing problems in US, in Europe, uh, many other places? But in Asia, it's been sort of uh, they've been mani- managing way better. So I mean, could the, could the lead to the to the global growth come from Asia instead of US? It usually the growth starts it in US. It's the motor of the global economy. That that do you see any differences between say Europe, Asia, US? Yeah, what comes to prospects mm. for growth this year? Right now, it looks as if China is an early mover in in the recovery if the the situation continues the way it is, and it it might go that way. But then, if we look at the broader picture, they might have a head start, but but still, the U.S. will dominate going mm. going forward. But at the same time, we see uh, Asia becoming more and more important for the global economy. But what's sure is that Europe will lag, especially continental Europe. There, we have the Nordics actually having done better uh, during 2020 probably doing better also in 2021 than the rest of Europe. And that's, of course, something mm. to cherish for us. But what about Lippo? Are you as pessimistic what comes to Europe? Because, I mean, working in financial markets, I, I've been here for 25 years and I think everyone's been bearish on Europe. Or this quarter and, and of for a good reason. <laughs> for a good reason, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, that's, uh, of course, very difficult because it seems that Europe is lacking every time. And also now it's very difficult to be very positive on on Europe. Of course, we are also bumping up from from the crash that we saw last year. But uh, if there is strong consensus that this year will be good for for overall growth, there's also strong consensus that Europe is not really recovering permanently. It's just coming up. This will be a good year. And then next year we have we are facing all the problems that uh, Heidi mentioned here earlier. So uh, Mm. unfortunately, we have to discuss whether China is leading the growth or US, but never Europe. No, what do you think? Which one will be leading this year? Will it be more like Asia or US? Um, well, of course, China also already jumped last year uh, back to growth pretty fast, as they had also less problems with the COVID overall. Uh, so this year it could be that US is, is kind of contributing more from that point of view that, okay, they are picking up more. Uh, but looking from longer perspective, one more thing that that this uh, corona covid uh, is is strengthening is the kind of change of global global leadership from us to china mm. uh, of course we know political problems that we are facing in in the us but overall i'm i'm pretty positive on on china uh, from longer term perspective and and it is now getting even more and more clear that okay they are they are the ones that will mm. lead Overall, going forward, mm. whether it is already this year, it's more more difficult. To yeah, say. we'll see that. I mean, they they have a population that I think is pretty much the same as in U.S., Europe, and Japan combined. So, so yeah, I, I guess so. But on the other hand, um, Japan was in the same state, so same. Uh, everyone thought of that back in '80s. They will conquer the world. It didn't happen. What about Walter? What do you think of the global growth? Are you pessimistic? I'm not quite sure where you're pessimistic or optimistically. <laughs> no, no, I'm Haiti <laughs> for that matter either. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. Too many economists in the, in the same room. <laughs> Sorry, so who, yeah, so yeah. you are optimistic or pessimistic? No, Walter, you, you, you will be the only one who says if you are. Uh, Fine, so uh, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'll just let it out there. I mean, um, I. Well, yeah, so I mean, it's pretty much, I, I mean, I agree with my dear colleagues here about 
most of the things. I think there's also one thing I was I was thinking about while what you were all talking about who would lead. I'm not sure if it really matters, like the sort of who is the first sort of economy mm. on the business side. It's more from the investment point of view. But I mean, from. in terms of, and also mm. in, if you look at growth rates, I, what explains a lot of the differences is actually population growth, right? Mm. So I think it'd be ridiculous sort of think that Europe could match, let's say, the US since population growth rates are about 1% lower, percentage point lower. So mm. in terms of per capita, actually Europe isn't that far. And if you look at real GDP per capita, for example, Japan, even though it looks, the headline figures look terrible, so no progress in 20 years uh, or more. But if you look at per capita real growth, then actually Japan isn't, isn't that bad. Mm. Debt is a different story, obviously, in Japan. So I'm just saying we have to be careful about what we're talking about. If, if you think about living standards, then I think all of the, basically the entire developed world is moving as it, as it should, right? So we're responding to uh, it's, and what Haiti talked about. So the, the two drivers of long-run growth are productivity, uh, productivity and demographics, right? So you can explain those things. So it's like, how many workers do you have and how productive are they? So and productivity rates are quite, uh, quite similar in developed countries. So you can explain these differences in growth rates really by population growth. And we just aren't procreating in Europe. So it's so kind of it's kind of the Japanification of Europe then in in that respect that that what comes to the population in other respects as well yeah so yeah. there's a lot of I think we're closest yeah Dem demography here is mm, so I think that is actually maybe the most interesting question but it's not it's not an outlook question it's not a question for this but the mm. long and this whole like secular stagnation story where mm. but, what if but like uh, but if you recently read this for example um, what's his name the this the, this economist who just published um, as this thesis about how actually there would be it'll be different about demography because when population of populations get older Goodhart. yeah there you go yeah. good heart thank you so mm -hmm. Mm. The question is quite open. Actually. That's a longer term story, yeah. but but I mean, uh, I'm not quite sure how, uh, to, if I interpret you right. But but you are positive. But but mm. are you positive enough that I mean there was a huge dip in in growth in Europe mm. and elsewhere. Now we are bouncing back, which is quite sort of a normal thing to happen. But the level where we are going to bounce, then mm. that will will it just just be at the same level that we were before, or do we even even get uh, up to that level, or, or will we go over? Because now there is yeah. this huge support for economy on, on, on many fronts. That can it be? Can it give sort of a huge? Because that would be really an, uh, out of consensus that there will yes there will be extremely strong growth next this, three years. This, this year, yes, N there will be. Yeah, of course, but that's yeah, a bounce back, yeah. isn't but, it? Yeah. But, 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 but longer that. term, it is very difficult. Yeah, okay. there has to be some some cost from this. Um, Pandemia permanent, that we are, yes, mm -hmm. uh, it, it can't be that easy that, okay, we have uh, huge problems and then we just take on more debt and then everything continues as it used to be. Mm. It's too easy. There is a potential upside if this pandemic mm. has led to companies be becoming more efficient, mm, making new yeah. in innovations, uh, yeah. renewing their processes, which mm. many companies have done, but we don't know will that lead to higher productivity, mm. but possibly it will mm. uh, in some countries somewhere, yeah. but we will see that in a year or two, yeah. right, or five years maybe, but uh, we might have seen this kind of transformation that you're just, when you're in really tough spot, that's when you make the, 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 the big changes. So that might help us a little bit uh, uh, forward, but productivity has been the big challenge yeah. 10 years yeah. back for, exactly. for almost all uh, Western countries. Yeah, not just 10 years. So basically, ever since yeah. World War II, we've seen diminishing productivity <laughs> growth, right? So mm -hmm. that's, a, and I think that really, well, some, we don't need to get into that long on discussion, <laughs> but uh, I think 
yeah so actually i don't think it's a surprising so i think most most houses are basically forecasting so after we we like come back from the the you know mm. the bounce has occurred that what is the potential rate of rate, mm. rate of growth after that it's basically what it was before and i think that's actually quite correct so yeah so basically we would yeah. return to normal normality it's like Haiti said mm. like we'll yeah. have the same old problems the same old world mm. we will be like wondering mm. like you know what's going to happen in the long run growth mm. you know equities are expensive blah 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 mm. but i think in a way, this whole corona crisis has been quite cosmetic in the sense it didn't change any structures. So mm. there'll be some productivity gains, perhaps, mm. but these are really like second-order effects. Mm. Although there are some people that that claim that that, for example, working from home is will be in future way bigger than it, it ever was and so forth. But there yeah. are there are three major supportive factors for economy and asset prices currently. Uh, super low interest rates, ongoing quantitative easing, and and latest uh, the widely increased fiscal support, or should I say, wildly increased financial <laughs> uh, fi- uh, fiscal support, mm. uh, because economy obviously affects everyone, man on the street, everyone. Uh, do you think that this this helps the the real economy? If Eddie, if you, this probably would be specifically your turf, that but I mean, say QE, for example, all these measures, fiscal support might be a different story, but say super super low rates, mm. quantitative is does it really help real economy? It does through companies and and through the fact that households have more money to spend on something else. But uh, uh, going from super low to even (laughs) more super low, I I think the marginal effects are minimal. Mm. And I think central banks are very much aware of that. And that's also why the Swedish Riksbank, for instance, Mm. wanted to go back to zero because there are also so many negative effects, not to the real economy, but to the financial sector from Mm. negative rates. So I think we're we're moving around (laughs) the borders that what is supportive and what is not fiscal policy on the other hand, what we've seen in 2020 mm. has been extremely supportive for, for, for the real economy. At least uh, short term, I mm. mean, longer term effects might be different. Yeah, Lippo, you have yeah and Walter mentioned there that we could go back to the growth levels that we used to have. Mm. But mm. then what we have there is increased debt. Uh, we have ongoing fiscal deficits. I'm pretty sure mm. that we are not going back to the fiscal deficits that we saw earlier. And we are facing even lower uh, interest rates if they can go any lower uh, so at least uh, difference is that this kind of room to stimulate further is is always getting just smaller and smaller yeah. ongoing of course it is helping so mm. going back to the first question there it is helping uh, but as Heidi mentioned mm. diminishing yeah. mm, mm. and we're locking ourselves in if we're thinking what is a big legacy of this crisis uh, if we're thinking about the economy mm. it is that the central banks now have given an implicit promise to the uh, to the policymakers uh, and, and the finance ministries that if you uh, build up debt we buy it and i think this is something we're not going to get away from so we're taking big steps away from independent central banks which is quite a new innovation in that sense uh, but uh, will make also monetary policy much more difficult in in the future because uh, they feel that they have a responsibility also for public debt in a different way than than before mm. and that's very problematic i see so we're talking about fiscal dominance mm. yeah mm. but i mean didn't this already happen after the great financial crisis partly but it was not so coordinated mm. okay. 
Yeah, the fiscal dominance is, is we, we do have always in the financial industry these, these sort of a pair of words or mm. words that you will see like uh, a lot of things and I, I think that is a pair of words we are going to see way more yeah. in, in, in financial press. Uh, just on, on Europe, that that I mean, uh, ECB is doing the best, I guess, on 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 trying to support the economy by doing QE, holding negative rates and so forth. Mm. But but I mean, <clears throat> purely, are there any any sort of um, uh, areas that you think Europe, with uh, with the help of ECB, might be a a sort of um, uh, in a better stage or better better shape than other areas? That is there any? Are, is, are we really so pessimistic? I have a question here that that, that states that that in Europe, IT, uh, IT, and personal data regulation and uh, stuff like that might be in better shape than el elsewhere in the world. Lipo, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Lipo. laughs> I was so optimistic on Europe. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Unfortunately, I, I can't be that optimistic on Europe on anything. Basically, I think for some some degree it is more about survival in Europe, unfortunately, and it, for ECB, mm. ECB is the one that is holding Eurozone together. Mm. And kind of from overall mm. perspective, yes, we need to keep the Eurozone together, but unfortunately we are in a spot where we need first ECB and now we have this uh, debt that we are kind of dividing or caring for each mm. other. Uh, so as long as Europe is kind of or has to concentrate on, on surviving, we mm. can't be really leading on, on the positive side, mm. unfortunately. But as mm. I see it, Europe can lead with, with values and with ethics. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we are leading right now. It might come a change and the US <laughs> takes back that that lead. But also in, in the green questions, in, in questions about income uh, equality, which mm. is seen by young people in the world as the biggest problem that we have in the economy. There Europe is actually leading. Mm. And if you talk to American economists, they see that as a huge problem. And that is something we have in a way solved here, but we're paying a, co a price for it. <laughs> but th that is something where we are actually leading where I guess Asia is also going to look mm. at us how did they do it and trying to figure out how they can do a little bit the same as what we have done in but not pay with economic mm. growth. I yeah. wonder though that in the Chinese diaspora if they really if they really look to Europe for value leadership though I think they have quite established long-run thinking about how the world runs and what are the sort of values that that govern action and so forth. I doubt mm that after 5,000 years they're going to look at mm. Europe and say that's oh really we did it all wrong <laughs> Confucius was wrong actually uh, yeah, we look yeah, at we'll look right there, that, yeah. that we of course look at from the European mm. or Western mm. point of view mm. that our values might be a bit different mm. but uh, there's a huge snowstorm even by Finnish standards out there currently and mm. all of you guys except Lippo were here in time <laughs> so, so I mean it only shows mm. that everything works in Europe I mean in most of the places everything mm. works it's regulated you can trust many things which perhaps yeah. in some other areas in, Euro, in, in the world you can't. So maybe yeah. this is a sort of a plus side. Mm. And, and the yeah. quality of life. People, people yeah, are really yeah, happy here. We are the happiest people in the world in Finland, <laughs> what we question. Yeah, yeah, but in yeah. Europe in general, uh, life is considered to be good compared yeah. to mm. other parts of the world. And that's where we can lead, of course. Now, mm. now that we are, we are sort of, uh, as you pointed out, that we are probably moving better when it comes to growth and so forth. But there are some areas like, do you have any views on, on will, for example, uh, low fare air, airlines or, or cruise, uh, cruise lines or, or similar will, will or tourism altogether, will it be the same ever again? No. 
at least at least for not for a long time. Okay. Maybe it's it's again too early to say never, but. It would take quite a few years uh, to go back. It's first our attitudes when we decide that okay, should we travel? Maybe late next, uh, late this year, we will all be traveling wherever. It doesn't matter as long as we get to travel somewhere. Mm. Uh, but uh, then further out, and then uh, for example, airlines. Uh, mm. We are seeing these uh, cheap airlines going bust, bust mm. now. Mm. Uh, so I think that this cheap time for the cheapest. Uh, air, air tickets is gone and also business traveling will be cut mm. massively uh, mm. probably even more than than tourism yeah. so there are kind of these permanent changes uh, mm. but of course we will adapt to this so where we'll end up exactly is, is difficult to say but that's kind of easy to guess that uh, there will be uh, less uh, traveling so there is one thing that that has sort of a semi-permanently changed perhaps also there earlier there was already at least in Nordic there was the sort of a, you shouldn't be flying because it's mm-hmm. pollution take the train instead or stay home or, or dom- travel domestic so so there might be of course areas that that mm-hmm. have sort of at least semi-permanently changed well I mean some of these things were already occurring right I mean there's a lot of talk about reshoring where you this idea that you could carry out professional services so for instance an Indian doctor could look at your x-ray why would you send that here you know so maybe the European trustworthiness comes up there that, that yeah but I mean, I'm just saying that in a, in a way the corona crisis was like a catalyst to pre-existing mm. trends right yeah. mm. so these aren't new things they just it just speeded up things that were already occurring sort mm. of a sort of a, a level shift in that in that process that was mm-hmm. already occurring and this probably mm. was reflected to say IT share prices of Ang prices that, that that actually it only increased mm. the sort of a, yeah. sort of idea of these trends going going forward yeah. uh, already we discussed a bit or, or that's that's the huge support that there is currently for the economy coming mm. from uh, mainly from fiscal fiscal support less so from uh, from uh, ultra low rates and, and and QE but what comes to markets then these factors mm. are supportive for the mar- markets I guess but say if mm. there wouldn't be these supportive factors equity mm. prices have risen quite a lot there's a since uh, great financial crisis that that how do you see that, that that I mean where equity prices would be without this support how much lower they would they be from current levels If Lippo, if you start here. Yeah, I've been asked this very interesting question. Would equity be lower or higher now if there wouldn't have been this pandemia? And to be honest, I don't know. Mm. Uh, we know that earnings have collapsed uh, depending on, on which region you look at. But overall, they are down and equities are up from, from even the top that we saw last year. Uh, so, and, and of course, this stimulus is major issue there. Mm. Um, of course, we have to remember that it is not just stimulus and it's not not just valuation that is driving or has been driving the market mm. for the past 10 years also companies are doing extremely well so overall economy or, or global globalization digitalization and so on they are all kind of uh, helping especially companies mm. so they have companies have been the major beneficiaries there and that's why earnings are higher than ever as well uh, like yes oh, they are not higher than ever as they are due to this pandemic but mm. but overall companies Trend are doing very open. well mm. and and then other issue is that people are willing to pay ever higher prices but of course that is impacted when interest rates are non-existing more mm. or less and and kind of that is one thing that changed here in pandemic in europe we are used to this zero level 
Now, I think U.S. is kind of has said that, okay, we will have zero interest rates going forward as well. Mm. And, and U.S. is where the money is. So that's very big driver overall on this. Uh, so we have both support from, from companies' earnings and then this massive mm. drive for yield, yield hunt that we are seeing. Mm. Walter, what's your point on, on that? How much equities would be lower without the exceptional support from central banks? Actually, they'd be devastated, but I think it's, an, uh, it's not, I don't, um, I think it's a nonsensical question in the sense that um, <laughs> if, if you had that kind of shock to equity markets and you wouldn't have, let's say, central banks rushing in, that wouldn't have, something else would happen, right? Mm. There'd be, be fiscal policy coming to the rescue or there'd be regulations saying stock markets, as they do in China, can't fall so and so much or we'll just shut the market down. Mm. So I'm saying some sort of reaction would happen as a result of this sort of, you know, impending doom. Mm. So in that sense, I, I just don't, that's why I don't think it's interesting, but I, obviously it's been pivotal and it probably was the most efficient response that we could use as society to stop. I mean, I'm sure there's something else, but a lot of really smart people have been thinking about this. I'm sure they would have come up with something else. Mm. So that's what, that's just what I mean. I mean, yeah, I just find it hard to believe that with, with the vested interests we have, that somebody would allow that kind of freefall and, and destruction. Mm. So basically what you are saying is that, that there is this official support for the yeah, equity absolutely. prices. Yeah, yeah. So equity yeah. prices are currently are so important that, that they are not, basically they are not let, they, they are not allowed to fall. But, but in if you a, remember how central banks were, were born, they were, mm. their role was lender of last resort, right? Mm. That was a not monetary policy. It wasn't to do 25 basis point hikes or cuts. Mm. It was there to, to save the financial system in case there was a bank run. I mean, this, this sort of situation with equity markets is actually quite similar, isn't it? It's just mm. not banks collapsing. It's just, you know, the economy collapsing for another reason mm. and central banks being, you know, supporters of last resort. So that is their sort of primordial initial, uh, that was their function. In, in, in its origin with Riksbank mm. as the first first one to emerge. Uh, some, someone will have also a question that, that points to that direction that, that, I mean, isn't this a form of socialism that, that, that central <laughs> yeah. banks in, in mm. some, cha Japanese central bank is the biggest equity owner now. Mm. It, it, it mm. even uh, went over the, the, the earlier, I guess it's the local postal, postal um, uh, fund anyway. So, so I mean, isn't is that right or wrong for for central bank to buy stock? I mean, w won't it end like that? That that actually the official the sort of uh, uh, public sector will will own all the all the companies and so forth. What do you think, Heidi? Is this worrisome? Do you, do, right, do you right. sleep well thinking <laughs> of this? I, I always sleep well, but uh, mm. uh, I would somehow. I don't know if you can say is it right or wrong, uh, but it's really worrying, I think, that mm. the role of the whole public sector in our economic mm. systems right now, because uh, it doesn't match the idea we have of how the economic system should work. Mm. It has somehow creeped up on mm. us and 
shouldn't be there, but it has been like through different crises we've ended up in this, and that's always how how policy evolves. And at some point you are in a point you don't want to be anymore, but you can't back out. And that's where we are going. We're one crisis at a time. We're going further away from what we somehow implicitly had decided together that this is the kind of system we want. Mm. Now we're quite far from it, and the U.S. is very much nested into it, even though they still have the perception that they are living in a more, a much more uh, capitalist system than, than we are. Uh, but they have basically taken the bad parts of, of, of uh, the, 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 the socialist, if you want to use that word, system. But they didn't take the welfare state. That mm. is, I would say, the good part of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I see it as a big problem because. Uh, uh, regular people and voters see that they've been cheated somehow, that this was not the system we decided on. Mm, And uh, it's been basically just uh, impossible choices that our politicians and central bankers have Mm. been put Mm. uh, up to, and they just acted in the moment. Okay, uh, let's move just back to the the markets part, that that, I mean, when earlier asked how positive or negative you are what comes to economy, but what comes to equity prices, I'm I'm not going to ask you that where S&P index is going to close this year. I mean, that, that, that is silly, but I mean, Overall feelings that that I mean, our markets going to go be higher end of this year or lower in equity. Obviously, uh, end of the year is an artificial cutoff point. So so I mean, it's more like sort of a, your feelings and kind of a, your attitude towards markets. Flip, positive or negative? Uh, if you are positive on on economy, basically you should be or normally positive on on equities as well. Uh, the problem is that we are all positive. We are positive on on equities. We are positive on on economy. Uh, so quite a bit is priced in, mm. and and kind of short term, I'm worried because it's it's just well, exaggerated. What's like a couple of months or yes, yes. If we think about kind of Q1 or something like that, we should have some correction. Um, unfortunately, there are many people waiting for that, so that's maybe uh, makes it hard to happen. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's the problem. Uh, and on the other hand, as we are so far in this system where central banks come to rescue, governments come to rescue, we we all are counting on that. That okay, if there would be, if if this kind of recovery from COVID would be worse, if we would have massive bankrupts, then we are all saying that okay, it doesn't matter because then we will have uh, governments bailing out everyone and uh, central bank bailing out government. Uh, so we are very much in this uh, kind of ongoing system, and that's that's worrisome mm. because. It's not normal markets, uh, but it can last for long. So, uh, for overall this year, yes, I am positive on equities, and not as positive as one could be from from the point of view that the uh, economy will be uh, jumping so much or growth will be yeah. so so high because so much is priced in already. If you would have to choose that, that which is the bigger factor, the 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 special factors currently, fiscal support, ultra low rates, or the growth. I mean, this is a traditional way, yeah. but yeah. I mean, which one in your world is has bigger weight for yeah. this year? That is, um, overall, looking at history, it's every time that we have had major crash on equities, it's there has been a recession. So, mm-hmm. kind of economy is uh, saying the overall direction. Then we have this stimulus that is saying what is the kind of speed there. Mm. And uh, there, I would say that we are more or less fifty-fifty from that point of view. That okay, there's so much good priced in, but at the same time, we still have so much money that is uh, looking for yield. So uh, it is both. Okay, so 50-50. Walter, equity is going up or down or sideways? Well, I guess sideways is a zero probability event. <coughs> but like, uh, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm basically along the same lines as Lippo. Just one point, if I may, just what Heidi was talking about. I just had this... Um, socialism. Yeah, socialism. Thank you. <laughs> But uh, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. communism. <laughs> exactly. That's the yeah, American word. <laughs> in a, in a, a short comment there. Yeah, I just because just what you're talking about just reminded me because I have some academic friends and they can be quite um, abstract. And I was thinking, why is it that we're so? And, and I do agree, it is. I it feels funny having a central bank buy equities outright, but um, in, and there's this uncomfortable uh, sort of devil's pact where you know it's a market economy supposedly, but you have one agent, the central bank, that manipulates prices and they're not determined by market action. Mm. But isn't it exactly the same thing with interest rates? I mean, normally you have interest rates go up and down as bonds mm -hmm. are bought but but then well, the central bank so it's it, it, we've always been that it's always been that way and i'm sure 400 years ago somebody said this is crazy we mm. have a central bank that's manipulating short you know mm. short-term interest rates this is diabolical we can't have this mm. but now it's completely normal <laughs> so one part of market manipulation is completely it's normal and the other well, and saying this part is, mm. so it's, i'm just saying it's 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 quite I think none of it is, yeah. you know, we've never been in a complete free market, or we were, but it was 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. An equity market's going up or down. Yeah, up. I, uh, I mean, but okay, I have yeah. very little to add, actually, to what Leap was. It's the, yeah. it's the same as, the world is the same as it was before Corona, so I think the chief, you know, the the, moan, the source of concern is, is basically valuations, you know, so, and uh, particularly now, I think things look so good that is it's more valuation is really so everybody is you know it's flows it's positioning it's valuations that are problematic because everybody mm. agrees that the world world looks quite bright mm. and we're going to go out i mean the conversation has already shifted to the fed already starting to taper i mean mm. that's what the conversation is now will it be you know that the second second half of this year beginning of next year i mean i think that's where the conversation is moving mm. already So basically, they are saying that that if they would taper that that it's not the normal state of things that they buy 120 billion every every month. So, so there isn't any normal in that. <laughs> We have to accept it, but it's <laughs> is it normal? Hey, do you do you what's your feeling on equity markets? Do you have any any sort of a pretty much the same? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, high probability of just continue going up. But of mm. course, always when everyone expects that uh, there's a risk of of uh, bigger corrections as well. But mm -hmm. it's linked to all the other other risks and of course we have the situation where the faith in the system and and the trust that we have is mm. uh, if something happens that makes that uh, a little bit that the mar markets start to question what mm. central banks do that does it really work mm. uh, then we might be in for a big trouble. That would be really, really major, Im mm. have implications, and it's same with the inflation. Let's not go into that, but, but anyway, it's based on, on, on trust and, and stuff like mm. that. Uh, on equity markets, that is there any, any geographical favorites that, or is there any difference? You are, seem to be bullish, but I mean, is there any specific favorites that you would like to name? Yeah, of course. Um, when we are saying that equities are expensive from historical standards mm. or absolute P levels or whatever you mm. look at, it's, it's the US. Mm. That's, that's really where the, mm. yes, they are not cheap anywhere, but US is by far the most expensive. And also within US, you have to remember that it is the growth companies, it's mm. the banks and so on. Mm. Uh, so uh, if there is kind of some normalization in the people's thinking, then we would stop buying all the hype products, then it should be US that is underperforming. And also we have the, uh, the dollar issue there that mm. 
consensus is again that dollar is is uh, depreciating this year. Uh, yeah. So U.S. is not as attractive as it used From to be. From a European investor point of view, yeah. The, the problem, of course, is that as you might have noticed, I'm not too positive on Europe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Europe on, on I, economic I, yeah, side, so maybe the, it could be also translating to to the. Uh, companies and, and earnings side, so then it comes to these emerging markets. And as I said that I believe in China overall, and over, um, if the world uh, growth is picking up, then emerging markets should be the ones mm. who are benefiting the most. Again, problem is that that's quite a consensus. Mm. But mm. consensus can be right until everyone is agreeing. Mm. Mm. Walter, did you have any any specific uh, recommendations or not? Recommendations are not allowed. Yeah, but I think it's going to get me in <laughs> jail or something. Well, what's going on here? <laughs> but um, yeah, I was wondering that. Um, I think geography is a bit passe to be. I know it's it's old school. <laughs> it's old. It's old, <laughs> school. It's old school. <laughs> precisely. But uh, yeah, uh, so maybe some sort of value growth rendition is more appropriate. So yeah. I think, and I think that's trickier. So this mm. this, geog this geographical thinking, I think, is mostly, and maybe that's sort of close, you know, sort of hidden closet growth value, and that's also like, mm. if you want more or less beta, you know, stock market beta, you go to EM and Europe if you want more mm. bang for buck, and US is more defensive. But I think the growth value is is interesting because of this. Um, there is this tension between the sort of short and long run in the sense that. Long run, if you subscribe to the whole secular stagnation view, so it's low rates, low inflation, low growth, then you think growth is going to outperform, right? Mm. But if you if you believe in this year and this rapid bounce back and you know uh, rates going up and so forth, then then you want to go for value. Mm. So actually, the two time horizons contrast. So this year, yeah, I think value value could mm. outperform a bit, but I'm Finally. I'm definitely in the growth camp. Mm. in the long run because I subscribe to that secular stagnation. Yeah, macro so the, the trends mm. being there yeah, and supporting exactly. the growth. Trends. Right, mm. right, right. Yeah. Uh, fixed income and, and rates altogether, rate, uh, interest rate levels, we are all quite fed up with the rates being so low and, and really it's difficult to find any, uh, any, any, any sensible investment in fixed income uh, universe. That, is this going to change uh, uh, anytime soon? I mean, markets is not expecting ECB, for example, to raise rates in, I think, six years <laughs> or something like that. I would say not in Europe, yeah. not in Europe, but um, Norway maybe being an outlier. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, we have to look again at emerging markets and, and mm. uh, the US mm. uh, talks about tapering already. Mm -hmm. So so these ultra low rates in, in, in the US might be a, a short term phenomenon, but, but uh, high rates, no. No, yeah. So, so that's uh, this makes really difficult for for a, a diversified portfolio portfolio's li life. And there's plenty of talk of that. That that does fixed income investments have a place nowadays in a diversified portfolio because they do have duration, i.e., interest rate mm -hmm. risk and rates being so low that that you don't get any 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 running yield to compensate for the risk. Mm. So is there any idea of owning fixed income in, uh, investments currently? And if so, where should you put, where, where should you have your fixed income investments? Heidi named uh, US and, and emerging market uh, fixed income. There's some currency risk or quite a lot of currency <laughs> risk there. So. Yeah, uh, maybe we are the old school guys, but oh, I am at least. Uh, so <laughs> I think there needs to be a lot of debate on this. 
going forward because we are not now in a situation where there is no yield. You mm -hmm. are not getting anything from, from you are not getting any from government bonds longer term. You are not getting basically anything from uh, investment grade corporate bonds. Mm -hmm. And of course, this has been driving all the yields down further and further. Uh, but kind of what is their role uh, in portfolios going forward? It is mm. a good question. And uh, increasingly, we are in a situation where everything is correlated, at least when there is something bad happening, then mm. even uh, especially in Europe, where we are actually the government bonds are half of them are Italy and Spain and so on. Mm. So they are not risk free uh, from mm. our thinking point of view. So yes, German government bonds are the insurance in the portfolio still. Mm. I, I believe so. And they will outperform everything if there is really Crisis. big problems. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, what is their role? I would say it's diminishing. It is there still. Uh, mm. you, you should use them, but everyone is now questioning how to uh, kind of replace those. And then you are looking for alternatives. Uh, mm. Real estate mm. is very hot stuff. Everyone wants real estate because it seems kind of freelance at the moment. Mm. Prices are only going up and you get friends and so on. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but can it be that easy? So maybe we should face another crisis before we, we can really answer those questions. Mm. But, uh, you well, yeah, again, it's, it's <laughs> just it's a bit hard being after Lippo because it's... Uh, um, you have oh, to <laughs> <speak>. <laughs> I, I probably well, take you first next time. <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> fine uh, um, yeah I think I definitely like if uh, in terms of if you want to have high returning portfolios then you should have as you know low weighting on fixed income no weighting at all actually if you if you can avoid it really if you I mean lots of lots of um, agents have to mm. invest into big, for exactly sure. for regulatory mm. reasons but other than that given that uh, you're not getting a return and uh, it's I think I find it hard to justify uh, certain fixed income positions. So mm. I think for some agents, it makes sense to either go for alternatives, uh, as Lippo talked about. Uh, I think some of this stuff is actually quite just self-explanatory, like the correlation in, in you know, in, 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 in housing in, in Portugal and Spain is not as you know high as, as the stock markets, for instance. So there's actually, you can lower volatility quite a bit by if you diversify real estate. But I mean, you could just do other stuff as well. For example, puts, equity index puts, for instance, why not? There's no correlation risk there mm. whatsoever. You know you'll get a return if the equity market tanks, By, if you want yeah. to diversify, for instance. So mm. so you could also just use strategies. You don't necessarily mm. have to go into other asset classes. So if basically you want to protect gener generating extra in income by, by selling options, for example. Covered well, I was thinking about protecting portfolios. But yes, that, <laughs> okay. that as well. You could, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, could, you could also sell. But I'm just saying... Uh, yeah. So yeah, because in fixed income, it's it's difficult in that sense. That's because it doesn't really provide any any running currently in euros yeah. at least, or it's 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 increase, increasingly difficult to find any paper that that yields positive return unless you go really deep in the in the credit spectrum, of course. So yeah, this is this is an ongoing problem for for a lot of investors, and probably a reason which is supportive for the equity market. So if you yeah. want to sell your equities, yeah. where do you put your money? Well, fixed income, so and so, it can be a parking place, of course, for, for short term and so forth. Mm. Well, uh, then I, I'd like to, in, 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 in favor of time, to move on more soft topics that, that, I mean, what comes to your own investments that maybe you save money for your pension or, or just otherwise keep something for the, for the rainy, rainy day that 
that would you like to share, Hedy, if you start that? Uh, I promise to start Walter with you, but I will not yeah. go to <laughs> anyway. So, My so, investment strategy <laughs> is more interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, if you, would you like to share a bit that, that, I mean, if you save any money or invest money yourself, that do you have any, any sort of a philosophy that, that or what you're thinking? It's quite boring in, in the sense that just uh, regular investments are in uh, some standard funds uh, working uh, with the job I do. It's very regulated what, mm. how I can act and what I can own and how I can trade. So it's uh, mm. ver- very static in, in the sense, but uh, uh, a, bu- a buff- very traditional buffer. But I'm married to an entrepreneur. And that's where we have the risk. So, so most of the extra money always tend to be canalized into his uh, uh, more or less crazy projects, and, and we always so it's quite automated. In that yeah, so, so we always thought, yeah, exactly. We always thought that, that uh, I make sure we have food on the table, and he makes sure we have the risk, yeah. and, and diversify it according to his preferences. Of course, I have a little bit to say there as well. And then we have this like wild cards, like art, for instance. Now oh. we have a little bit like African art. We're like betting on uh, rapidly uh, growing uh, countries like Nigeria, where really? my husband has some other business as well. That when populations <laughs> grow, like in China, uh, to a certain point, they just have bi- so big populations that they also have a lot of rich people, and at some point, they start to get interested in their own art. Okay. <laughs> But this, those this are wild cards. <laughs> like you might get one artist okay. that becomes so really hot. Here's, here's, a, here's a tip for you. <laughs> yeah, so, so they're like fun things in a sense. And yeah. I think uh, it can be fun. Like part, part of your portfolio can be something fun and, and yeah. passionate. And tangible, also. tangible as yeah. well. What about Valtteri? Mm. Yeah, thanks. I just agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, actually, we pool investments with Leitbos. <laughs> so it's like, uh, now, um, yeah, I mean, regulations basically killed my investing because mm-hmm. they made it a nightmare. Uh, before that, I used to, um, I traded options, uh, equ- like equity index and fixed income options, really, the option mm-hmm. strategies. I thought, I did that initially because I wanted to get, understand markets better as a strategist. And uh, I worked closely with uh, sort of um, equity, the equity derivatives desk. Right. So like, uh, as a, and, So yeah, so I started trading it, and and also single names. But I mm. I always did better with indices and options mm. than than single names. Mm. So um, single names being a, a op- option on a specific. Well, company. actually, and I didn't trade. I never traded a single name options on single names. But I mean, just cash equity single names, ah, right? Ah, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So I always did better on the right. ETFs and the uh, ETDs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, Lippo, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't do as I do, do as I say. It's mm-hmm. maybe in my principle there. So uh, I usually do too little too late uh, with my own, own money. So that's mm. kind of easy easy solution there. Uh, but uh, nothing special. Naturally, investing now into our own funds. Uh, try to look for some interesting kind of teams there. Like now, I'm, my, my latest is that I put money into new frontier markets. Mm-hmm. I uh, said I'm positive on, on emerging markets and, and kind of looking at something else than, than China there. Um, but then have some single Finnish names. Uh, doing every now and then, I also have pretty clear restrictions what I can do and, and cannot do. Uh, but uh, of course, I said in the beginning, should do more and uh, earlier, but I'm pretty analyzing too much. Mm-hmm. I don't think too much. Uh, work with your instinct is, is better than, than kind of keep on thinking that, okay, is this perfect? 
Mm. But we all know that perfect is something you never, never no, no, achieved. No. Some, mm. some might claim that they spotted the March 23rd, was it the lows in equity markets this time? And, but mm. I guess there were not that many that managed to do that. Uh, uh, then I'd like to move into to the to the next question, which is that that you all are quite often quoted in media, like TV and uh, media, or papers and social media and so forth. That that how do you feel about that? Does that that sort of give you additional pressure of being right because you everything stays in the net for? For ages, someone might find your, 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 for example, this video in ten years' time, yeah. where you were positive on, on economy and equities, <laughs> and <laughs> something horrible happened. That, 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 I mean, does that create pressure? That, that, seeing your own name in papers, claiming something, what comes to economy? I think it's something you get used to. In the beginning, it was stressful just to be in media somehow. But mm. when you when you get used to it, you it's a part of your role. You're very much aware of that. <laughs> Most of the time, you're not right. Uh, more, it's more maybe about and a critique also that you get is uh, my experience is that you get more about your values. Mm. If uh, I the critique I I can get from from viewers, for instance, is that I'm too leftish. According to their view, <laughs> when someone asks me what I think, but uh, uh, the, the perception is that bank economists should not be that leftish. Right. But then mm -hmm. when you talk to people that are actually leftish, they think I'm really to the right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, everything is relative. Yeah. So, so basically, it, it doesn't mind that you see your, your name on papers. It's part of your work. So, so you are sort yeah. of uh, managing or coping with that. Walter, you ought to turn again before <laughs> Lippon. <laughs> you set this up with Lippo, didn't you? But, uh, uh, yeah, like, actually like Heidi said, so first yeah. it was quite nerve-wracking, uh, but it's, yeah, so it's, it's about presenting in public, right? So, mm. um, and I didn't really think about something staying eternally, thanks for that, so now <laughs> I am a bit more stressed again. And, uh, but I remember like the first time, I think I was on, on TV, uh, my colleagues, where I worked and they continually tried to show me this clip of this unfortunate uh, person who who basically froze on live TV yeah. and they repeatedly showed it to me. <laughs> They're trying to psych me to freezing on TV. <laughs> to do the same. Thank, that's, that's what you get for working in a, de in a dealing floor. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like Katie said, so now, now it's, um, it's, you know, you, you get used to it, especially with repetition. Mm. It's, it's like anything, really. Um, the whole, and I, yeah. And I, you know, I'm obviously not as much perfect as like Haiti, for example, on TV and stuff. And I still wonder sometimes if somebody's staring, is it because they know me or if it's the, if I have something between my teeth? <laughs> so it's, um, but yeah, at least for me in an ideal world, I'd, I'd rather not be noticed. So I'd yeah. be like uh, mm. edited. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm asking this also also because uh, I'm interested on, on your views there, but also because CFA society is, of course, contains all we have a lot of members that some are early in their careers might mm. be considering about being a strategist or economist for that matter. So, so mm. I mean, it is something that give, gives a bit sort of a background. One more thing, if quickly. Yeah, well. sure. I was thinking about this one day because you know, this is the time of the year when everybody comes up with outlooks, and and then you also have this is the time of the year when everybody laughs at outlooks about how they'll be wrong, <laughs> you know, outdated in three weeks' time. Yeah. I was wondering why that is, like why you know yeah. why. I but I think there's there's actually a really simple 
uh, thing. And the guys, the people laughing actually are the ones who are a bit silly because the, <laughs> the, the reason is that if you have a consensus, let's say a consensus or like a, a base case, that base <clears throat> case probability is probably going to be something like 40%, mm -hmm. right? And then you have other two other scenarios mm -hmm. that add up to the 100. So, that, so it's always or generally more likely that that base case will not occur, mm. right? All the mm. other possibilities have higher probability mass than that base mm. scenario. Mm. So it's actually likely that it won't occur. You just don't know, mm. you know, but it's of all mm. those things, it is the most likely to occur. But just a very simple... So when I read, for instance, yeah. IMF's uh, uh, economic outlook, mm. I start with the risk chapter, <laughs> because that's where the interesting stuff is, because you have mm. the baseline, but the risks and how you weigh them, how you formulate that, that's mm. actually the story. So mm. if you look at what the IMF wrote the mm. years before the financial crisis, mm. in each and every report, they warned about the potential financial crisis, but it was always a risk, because it can't be the baseline, you can't forecast per definition, mm. uh, 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 sudden event that mm. you don't know when, when it's going to start. Lippo, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you mind being on, on media? Oh, of course, it's part of the role, so kind of you have to live with it and, and you get used to it. Uh, mm. that's, that's for sure. Uh, one thing is, I mm. think you could mention it there, uh, this risk, because um, you kind of learn not to overstate the risks, because everyone loves risks, and, mm. and kind mm. of the perception is that, okay, that horrible thing is going to happen if you are mentioning it. So you have to be pretty careful there when talking to this wider audience. When mm. you, I'm talking with one-on-one -on -one with some mm. people, uh, my talking is mm. quite different than in um, mm. news saying that, okay, I think markets could collapse because some people mm. interpret that, okay, it's going to happen mm. and then they will panic and mm. everyone is kind of afraid enough already. And of course, part of my job is to kind of uh, encourage people to invest. And mm. if we only talk about risks and are negative, that okay, this and this could happen, then they will never invest. So mm. I think the best thing is to kind of be at least balanced there. Mm -hmm. And um, many things at times I afterwards think that, okay, I, I said so stupid things there, mm. but then no one notices. Mm. I'm, I'm much, I don't think they're much more, much more than other people. So mm. it's kind of relief when you understand, okay, they, they really didn't care what I said there. <laughs> yeah, they were looking at your tie. Well, you don't even have a tie. Today, so. <laughs> that one as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, uh, of course, it, it depends on, on the audience. And, and uh, if you mm. speak to private individuals, for example, it's important to, to save longer, longer term. And, and it's been a good thing to, just to save and, and try to accumulate savings and, and just hold on to your savings. So, so I mean, mm. uh, it's also sort of a time or perspective related in mm. that sense as yeah, well. That's true. Uh, CFS Society uh, here in Finland and elsewhere as well uh, has many, many sort of a mission or p parts of mission. And, and one of them is, is to promote professional development. And, and um, I mean, this is quite important in that sense that, that uh, CFA society tries to promote the, the, the uh, continuing uh, process of learning more in people in, in our profession or, mm. and, and also the, the sort of a, a, a ever bigger, uh, bigger professionalism as well. That, that how do you keep, keep up to changes in, say, in markets and, and uh, do, you, do you try to learn? I'm sure that you're going to say, of course, <laughs> but I mean, how do you learn more, more every, every day mm. or every week? How do you do that in practice? Heidi? Well, if I think about my whole career, uh, 
I've tried to make decisions that now I'm going to focus a little bit on something else. When I feel that now I handle this area quite well, for instance, for me, I started out doing a PhD on labor markets. At mm. some point when I worked at the central bank, I said, now I'd actually like to focus more on housing markets. Of course, everything mm. there was from a monetary policy perspective. Mm. Then I said, I want to move from looking at the eurozone to Finland. And that's what I tried to do in the private sector as well. Ask for new challenges that I don't know enough about that. Could I do that? now <laughs> and and uh, that's so proactively yeah and uh, usually your boss says yeah yeah that's a good idea are you sure mm. i remember bank of finland when i said i'd like to do f- forecasting for finland with the big forecasting model they said that might be difficult to sell <laughs> because then they perceived i had mm. so strong knowledge in something else that it would be waste right, of, of my right. resources but mm. i got to do it because they realized that okay she wants it and i'm really happy that i did it because it helps in forecasting yeah. otherwise so just mm asking for it and and pushing it and and uh, it tends to happen so you read a lot then yeah yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. you have to like to read i think if you're an economist mm. yeah no, Lippo, how do you keep uh, your professionalism and, and level of knowledge on a current yeah, i'm i'm working from in small house um small bank from that point of view so i'm kind of covering everything myself so i must be very much generalist and mm. cannot really go deep into stuff so mm. what i'm striving for is kind of understanding and and also when it comes to this previous question on on talking in media it's it's not about that okay where i think the market is going it's more that what i would like is to people understand what's going on mm. why this is happening and that's kind of where i'm always trying to understand okay Uh, I, I don't really get why this is happening there, and and when I then get, wow, that's logic, that's what I like. Uh, so it is very much looking at everything, and Twitter is is great place from that mm. point of view because you get new ideas there, and then mm. every now and then maybe one article out of hundred or thousand you go and read deeper into, but it kind of following everything there and kind of trying to keep up there, and then we have portfolio managers who are more deep into. It, stuff uh, for example don't ask me about single equities i don't know that much mm. about any of those so kind of have to put your limit there that mm. okay i'm doing macro i'm doing the markets but i'm not really going in that deep into mm. into stuff well well yeah i mean it's a slow inevitable process of decay isn't it of degeneration <laughs> pessimism for instance A lot of mathematicians go crazy or 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 worse, you know, by the age of forty, because forty is perceived to be the last possible year oh. you'll you'll um, come up with anything um, useful. Well, I would say useful necessarily in <laughs> mathematics, but uh, but uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, for instance, Nash is a is, is one yeah. example. Yeah, I really think I read that same thing as well. Mm. It, yeah, but yeah. it's yeah. So mm. that's that. Uh, but um, and that's just a given. So your analytical sort of how quick you are, how fast you process your memory, everything starts decaying after, mm. I don't know, 35. Uh, so you do Sudokus then, in order to, you know, Sudokus though. Yeah, yes I do, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> you do? No, I don't, I know what it is. I don't do them, I just know what I it is. I'm, just too, and I'm, I'm interested on that, yeah. keeping playing chess and stuff like that, that will keep you, uh, keep on a... a I played some chess before, yeah, I was, I was yeah, so... Um, But um, no, nothing like that. Like uh, I think w- I actually spend most of my time doing something completely different. Yeah. So I didn't even want to actually get into economics or markets in the beginning. I, I liked history, and I was I read a couple of books and 
But anyway, from those, I just thought that the economy is really important in determining history. So I'll study some economics. And along the way, I sort of thought, wow, this is really actually fascinating stuff. And uh, and that's how I became an economist. So that, that led, led to... Yeah, to exactly. So I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, but it was never intended to be so. But uh, I think the only thing one can do... I mean, it's a question of damage minimization, in a sense, right? Because there's so much information. Mm. There's so many interesting things. So you have to choose. And... Uh, Like Lippo, I'm a journalist as well, so it's, it's macro and markets, and I'm comfortable with not knowing really being the expert on anything particular. But, yeah. you know, but, um, but I think what is key, if you, if you want to give some advice to people, what I, tell, what, what I thought about is that you can fake it only so long in terms of trying to, let's say, like, I'm going to learn how to program now, you know, this programming language or C++ or something like that. You're just not going to do that unless... So what has to be... The key thing is you actually actually be interested in what you're doing to have any sort of fighting chance to be sort of competitive and, and keep on learning things in the long run. Like if mm. you aren't interested in it, then you're just not gonna you're not gonna spend your free time reading about all the the, the wizardry of accountancy or whatever it is that rocks your boat. Oh yeah, yeah, it's 44 mm. standards. Yeah, that, that sounds horrible, <laughs> and I don't know what that is, but yeah, yeah, you don't want to know. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, what you're saying, which I'm sure that is is exactly right to the point that that you need to have the internal interest yeah. on something yeah. in order to be good in that one. Exactly. So, so you yeah. should really know what you are interested. Yes. For example, for the young people that might be viewing this, exactly. that, that they they should really sort of uh, try to understand what they Precisely. are really in, uh, really really interested. And I mean, you do know inside, right? You know mm. if you're fascinated or not, right? If mm. you can stay up and you keep on reading some book, then you are. If you mm. look up mm. videos on YouTube on something you're interested. Uh, you know, if you're if you're on Facebook half the time, then you're not really interested, mm. are you? Mm. No, Eddie, do you, what do you do then? Do you do on on your spare time or your free time that that do you read like um, the Economist or, or or sort of a work related stuff, or, or do do you try to do something something completely different to to let your brains sort of uh, relax and and, uh, <laughs> and and take it easy or? or It's a difficult question, what is spare time and, and what is work? Mm. Because, yeah, I read The Economist and The Financial Times and Kauppalehti, is that spare time or work? Mm. I haven't really defined it, <laughs> uh, but uh, mm. I do a lot of other stuff than, than work as well. I've always perceived that I'm the person that is most efficient Monday morning early if I had a relaxing weekend. Mm. And that's something mm. I realized already when I did PhD, that I, I did mm. most of the work Monday mornings. So that increases your yeah. efficiency. So I really, yeah, all the ideas come when I walk with the dog and not think about anything particular. Then suddenly I have an idea that I then can execute. Mm. So I really need just being. And that's something I realized during the past five years. I have two kids and now they're mm. a little bit older. They're not babies anymore. Mm -hmm. I realized I need time by myself. So. Mm. family but then also just walking around with the dog is extremely relaxing and good for my brain so i re realize mm. Mm. what do you do of course this is 24 7 work mm. we all follow what's happening and mm. when there's something happening it doesn't matter what the time is we just start working on it and and dig deeper into that but kind of uh, it's more from that point of view i, I think what they had very good point there that if you have enthusiasm on something you you do it no matter mm. what time is mm. and if you don't really you are not interested in something it doesn't matter if you are paid for that or not you are mm. really not focusing on that and, and mm. i think that's very good good lesson to learn there that okay Uh, think about what you are interested in and, and then 
the way you want to do it. If you want to be the one who's digging really deep into the mm. basis of it, or yeah. is it more that okay, you just want to understand what's going on or mm. whatever it is, the, but kind of follow your enthusiasm. Mm. Mm. No, if if you Christmas just was that that I mean, if you wished any book. Would, would it was it no. a, a sort of a financial markets economist <laughs> book or or something completely different? I, mm. I'd say optimal would be kind of relaxed um, economics or market related book like life poker or something like that. Okay, <laughs> uh, that, okay it is yeah, about excellent. markets that you, it touches you, but then yeah. it is something different and and mm. it's kind of relaxing. Okay, yeah. So basically, mm. intertwining these 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 uh, areas of interest. I, I got the newest Ilkka Remes book, and okay. I was really happy about that. <laughs> okay, have you read that yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet, not yet. Right, uh, I think we've spent pretty much the time that, that we promised this would take, which was one hour. Is there anything else that you would like to highlight for, for this year, 2021, that we perhaps skipped or, or you wanted to say earlier? Uh, okay, I, I could say that what last year taught us is to be humble. Mm. We have no idea what's going to happen this year. Uh, we have to kind of just react to what's happening. And, and this year will definitely not go the way we are guessing or the consensus is guessing. So it is kind of constantly moving. And, and that's the way it all has always been. Mm. And it will be that way. So mm. yeah, but even more moving parts since we also have fiscal policy that probably will be scaled back this year. So mm. a lot of surprises. Mm. Good. Hey, uh, there were a couple of questions. I tried to put them uh, or slip them in in here somewhere, but I'd like to thank Joe, Kari, Thinking Aloud, Oskari and Janne for their, for their questions. And uh, one thing I must say here is that if any of you who are not familiar with the CFA Society Finland uh, activities, you can go to CFA Finland, uh, cfasocietyfinland.org. Uh, internet pages to find out, find out more. Now, mm. I mean, thank you very much, guests. I'm really glad to, that I had all all of you three here with us, and and also thanks to the viewers and and all the best mm. for the year 2021. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you.